With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, you there? Lights on? Lights are on. Um, congratulations to Pat Narduzzi on his contract extension. His lights will Good continue Lord. to be on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His lights will be on through 2030, Mike. Yeah. He can now fund the neighborhood's power bill. Um, Courtesy you might of hear University my Pittsburgh. Uh, yes. Man, you know what? Look, cash in on that year, that one year that you got good Kenny Pickett, and go get that bag. I do appreciate that. Hey, I can't blame the man for getting the bag. Uh, good on right. him. Yeah, definitely um, not. Um, my microphone, you may hear, is not the normal one I use. I'm well aware of that. <laughs> I didn't click the wrong setting on my laptop. I'm working on it. We got a power cord issue with my microphone, so mm-hmm. I'm working on it. Which is all to say, Mike, that we've we've had a weird month since we last recorded. Uh, yes, agree. We we've had a couple of people ask, you know, where's the content at? And uh, let's just say that we we last dropped an episode on March the first. We lied to them, Joey. We said we would not do this this off season, and we did. We I, lied. I know it's it's like unavoidable at this point. We we really lack self awareness in that one case. Like it's hey, we overpromise and underdeliver. Hopefully, it's not like that with our content. Though. Go ACC. Um, we, we last posted an episode on March the 1st. We are recording this the evening of March the 30th. Um, Mike, since we last recorded that episode, uh, I have been to two weddings. I have been to Las Vegas. I've been fighting fires at work. Uh, I've been to the Houston Rodeo. I have been just like everywhere. Uh, <laughs> it has been incredibly busy. Uh, a wild month. I'm in fact going to leave again here in a couple days and go to California for a week to take the kid to Disneyland. Um, among other, you know, Southern California attractions. So it's been super busy, but I tell you what, after that, I will be here and I'll be around for, uh, for the long haul. So we'll have some more time to uh, get some content in. So I, I personally would like to apologize for the people. I think it's my fault that we have, uh, we have not recorded in the last four weeks. I have moved. I'm in a new apartment I'm recording from. So that's been the news for me. It looks good. I see the picture of you and your lovely bride in the background there. That it is from our wedding day. You were there. <laughs> I remember I was there. Yeah. Yeah. Right above me um, on the wall is our wedding vows. We got them like framed. Oh, that's dope. Long up and framed. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So Dude, y'all, y'all, another picture from the wedding. Y'all did the thing where you, uh, you wrote your own vows. That worked out really well. We did. Well done. We did. Yeah. Yep. I am a uh, poet in my free time. It turns out. Yeah. For sportsillustrated.com, actually. Yes. Um, Not a single part of my vows were uh, rhyming. I just, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I was going to say, you should you should make sure you're using iambic pentameter in your articles for. Uh, oh, my God. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want to go out here over promise and under deliver like a North Carolina football program. You, you keep that for uh, the, for the basketball conference podcast. Also nice That's shot right. of North Carolina. Not the, not the Thank last you. one on this year episode. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely not the last one. We just recorded with Chris Grant. We did. We did. Um, before we get to that, we do have a couple of listener questions. We have seen oh, yes. them. Sorry. They are still in the inbox. Uh, yeah, it's been a month. Like we're, we're still here. We're still trying, but we just, you know, time and all that stuff. Um, we will get to those. That'll probably be in part of the next episode that we've got. Cause we do have some news as you referenced with Pat Narduzzi, you know, yada, yada, yada. So we will do that. Mike, you're correct. We just got done recording with Mr. Chris Grondon. Now, some of you who listen to this show fairly regularly will probably recognize that name. Uh, and I say that only because Chris is one of our listeners, just like you. Um, Chris is a Virginia fan and I believe a Virginia student. Um, he is finishing he up is. his undergrad at the University of Virginia. Um, he replied to our kind of call saying he would love to come on and talk about the Who's. And so we spent some time with him starting up our Tell Us About Your Team series, wherein we're trying to learn about these programs and these jobs and, and kind of what are some of the things that aren't as immediately apparent or uh, immediately in front of you. You know, you can go watch a game on Saturday and see what the team is, but you don't really always know why the team is that way. And so... Uh, we had Chris on, we talked about a lot of different things and of course, as we promised, um, we, we finished off the last episode with, I don't know if we finished it, but we included in the last episode that I had a, a take on Tony Elliott that I felt like he was going to fa- uh, fail at Virginia. And at the end of this discussion, we revisited that point and the opinion has, I'll say changed a little bit at least, um, and we'll kind of get into why. And I, I just overall, Mike, I, I felt like it was a pretty uh, insightful discussion. I, I certainly felt like I learned a few things that I was very unaware of previous to this discussion. Yes, for sure. Um, I will now be looking, and I mentioned this on the podcast after he brings up the points. I don't want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. But he brought up a really good point about the UVA coaching staff that you and I neglected to discuss when we were talking about whether or not Tony Elliott would succeed or fail in terms of general approach to the hirings, mm-hmm. which I did not consider. So he brought up a really good point there. That's definitely going to stick with me. I think it's a fair point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he brought in a lot of insight from a fan standpoint, from a student standpoint, from a, you know, um, you know, it, kind of diving into, you know, the, the program and kind of the game day experience and the tailgating or lack thereof and, kind of the general, you know, consensus amongst the students as far as kind of what mm-hmm. their appetite is for Virginia football and whether or not UVA can be kind of this program moving forward where, you know, if they do start playing better, is the fan support going to be there? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes from Chris. He thinks the fan support will absolutely be there. And he brought up a lot of detail to support those points I thought were pretty valid. So, Yep. Proximity to major towns. Uh, the school's kind of academic composition. There, there's a lot of things that come up here uh, that are things that we really only get the chance to dive into at this level in the off season. And so, again, this this is someone for you know somebody who is not from Virginia at all. I learned a lot. Even Mike, I think someone from Virginia who has had a good amount of exposure to things surrounding the University of Virginia in his life. Like you, it sounds like you learned a couple of things as well. 
I live an hour and 15 minutes from EPA's campus and I learned some things in this podcast I didn't even consider. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was insightful, no doubt about it. Yep. So hopefully, you know, if, if Mike and I learn some things, hopefully you will too. Uh, let's jump right in without any further ado. Here it is, our conversation with Mr. Chris Grondon telling us about the Virginia Cavaliers and everything having to do with that program. Take a listen. All right, Mike, it is now my absolute pleasure to do something that we have not done in the history of this podcast, and we're excited to do for the first time. Um, we ha- we are welcoming in a listener to the show. Uh, we are. Going to tell us about his school, Mr. Chris Grondon. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? Thanks. I'm doing well. Excited to have you on. Really appreciate you joining us here. Um, tell the people real quick, Chris, you know, what, what, what are we talking about tonight and why are you here talking about him? We are talking about the Virginia Cavaliers football. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> joining as a listener of the podcast for a couple of years. So I will do my best to represent Virginia as well as I can, but I'll be transparent that I only got to UVA in 2019 and I've followed the program really closely since I've been here and I've caught up on some of the history, but I'm not going to be uh, sort of as good as someone compared to these two guys for their respective schools. Um, <laughs> I found the podcast getting to UVA and being, and this is what we'll get into in the episode, being one of not of a ton of my friends that I was immediately making here that loved the UVA football. Some people didn't really care, and I was a little bit surprised by that. Uh, So I went looking on Apple Podcasts for an ACC podcast just to get a sense of what was going on. And and this here podcast helped me get uh, most of what I know about the conference at large. So, yeah. Awesome, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Joey, we have an or, like an organic listener here. <laughs> Somebody who went out on the internet to find us. Well, I was going to say, I'm surprised that he, he Googled an ACC podcast and it gave him ours and not Lauren Brownlow's, but... <laughs> hey, been there, though. <laughs> been there. Yeah, that's fun, though. Shout out, Lauren. Yeah, love her. Uh, Chris, again, thank you so much. This is awesome. Um, looking forward to kind of going through this. So, I mean, as we've kind of talked about on the show previously, you know, what, what we really want to do is, you know, as somebody who is, is there, is at the school, has kind of studied the program fairly deeply, you know, in the way that you have, you know more about the ins and outs and some of the backstage politics and like things that go on, I think, more so than Mike and I do. And so we just want to get a better understanding of, of this job and this program and, and kind of why it is the way that it is. And I, I say that zero, uh, there's no connotation there. Like every program is the way that yeah. it is for some reason or other. Like, <laughs> so that, that's right. really what we're trying to, to gather here. Um, I, I know that you, you said you're not big on the history and I, I so we don't really need to go too deep on that, but I will say, you know, and, and going back to the previous episode, I think I, I had some Tony Elliott takes, which we'll get to later in the show. Um, yeah. But I think part of that was was on the context of thinking this is a tough job. And part of what told me that is looking back at the history of this Virginia football program. And, you know, you go to uh, our friends over at winsopedia.com. They've got uh, year by year records, matchup, you know, head to head records, all that. And the thing that stuck out to me that kind of confirmed that this is not that easy of a job is that you look between 1916 
1982. So from World War One until like Ronald Reagan was in office, you know, over half a century, there were only about 20 seasons there where Virginia was above 500 on the year. So spent a lot more years than that below 500. So this is a job that, you know, there were, there was a couple of guys there in the, uh, like the, like late World War II, you know, into the early fifties, Frank Murray and Art Geppi seemed like they had a, a really good run of about 11 years there, but otherwise a lot of coaches have, have struggled with this job. And so I don't know how much, again, you said you're not that, not that familiar with the history. That was the extent of my notes that I had on it, but just curious. I mean, is that is that something that is a theme? You know, that people talk about or pay attention to when discussing the program is like, well, historically, here's what it's been. I feel like <laughs> since it's so bad, it's not really what people talk about. The main historic uh, sort of thing that people will refer to is the '80s and '90s uh, when we were really good. George Welsh, I uh, believe. Prior- yeah, correct. Mm. Um, and prior to that, I, I don't really know what was going on, but the fact that they weren't good for this really long period of time sort of begins to explain why some of the structure or sort of what's baked into the football fan base and the football infrastructure is what it is today compared to other ACC schools. It's things that you see like a lack of support for tailgating that it, it's kind of mind-boggling but i walk around this place every day there's nowhere to put it and it's because nobody thought of it and it's probably going back to this lack of success that pre that goes to scott stadium much before the modern era it is odd because i've i've been to uva's campus several times and you're like 1000 percent right it's kind of like scott stadium's just there right like in the, it's just right. like a a small parking, like a small parking lot area, and that's that's it. There it is, and it it's very it's very strange in that way. I don't know. It's odd. like George the George Welsh era was so good too, mm-hmm. and it just felt like UVA was so stagnant, bad, and then stagnant kind of after Welsh, right? Like Welsh comes in, they're good. Algro comes in, good enough, right? And then it's like yeah. Then you go through a stretch where, you know, you're in the more modern era, right, with London that was a disaster. Bronco, who maybe doesn't recruit as well as London, but coaches the players a lot better than London did. It doesn't seem like UVA has ever really gotten the best of both worlds. It's like the late 80s, early 90s. Right. And that's sort of the optimistic rhetoric around Tony Elliott is that we had Mike London, who was energy and recruiting, and Bronco, who was developmental, and both were maybe on too far uh, on one side than the mm-hmm. other, and that that Elliot can bring them together. Although I don't want to get ahead of <laughs> the the schedule in terms of discussing that. Yeah, uh, but I was yeah. gonna say, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? He was he was the offensive coordinator for a national title winning Clemson team, and also a really well regarded recruiter. You know, so it. It it stands to, to stands to bear that you know maybe maybe he can kind of uh, kind of uh, marry those two ends. Um, I, I was curious too, Chris. You know, one of the things that I guess with with programs and with with colleges especially is I think a lot of them tend to be shaped by their location. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you look at Charlottesville. It is, from what I can tell, I mean, it is a fairly small college town. Um, 
not a huge place outside of the University of Virginia, um, but really like not that far away from, you know, it's two and a half hours from D.C. It's, you know, like a little over an hour from Richmond. It's like there is some proximity to talent, even, you know, with uh, crossing, you know, going across the North Carolina border, that kind of thing. I mean, do you get the impression like is is location a factor that helps or hurts Virginia or is it kind of kind of a neutral thing? I think location is something that helps Virginia, although it wasn't taken advantage enough in the past coaching staff because they did things differently. And we see with Tech's new staff and UVA's new staff that we aren't going to put up with UNC and Penn State getting the best of the state of Virginia. And hopefully what's going to ensue is a is like a race to the top to take advantage of the location with between UVA and Tech that sort of takes out any other ACC schools or otherwise. Um, but location is definitely an advantage uh, because Virginia high school football is good. I mean, I don't have as the great frame of reference that other people do. Um, but talent, talent going elsewhere is uh, sort of proof that the location should be a positive factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Virginia used to be, the state of Virginia used to be, you know, basically only Virginia Tech and Virginia, like University of Virginia, would get those recruits. And then as both programs kind of waned, like towards the end of Beamer and really like middle of the London tenure, all of a sudden, like, here comes Clemson, here comes Florida State, here comes Bama into the Tidewater, Penn State, of course, in Northern Virginia, taking all the good recruits, right? So Virginia as a high school talent base, Joey, I think we've talked about this before on this podcast, like, no, it's not Ohio or Florida, Texas or California, but you don't get too far down the list before you start talking about Virginia in terms of high school prospects, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I put Virginia probably, you know, a little behind Georgia as well, but like Virginia is somewhere in the top seven or eight nationally in terms of high school prospects. And um, it's a very talent rich football state. And I do, I do agree with Chris, like, UVA and and Virginia Tech have not been taking advantage of the talent. I think UVA is in a much better position where they are located very close to Richmond, very close to Northern Virginia, also also very close to Newport News. Like they're only, you know, hour and 40 minutes, two hours from Newport News, 757 area. Mm -hmm. Like UVA is in the perfect location in terms of pulling prospects out of Virginia because they're so close to all the talent. Whereas Blacksburg, yeah, there are some talented football prospects in Southwest Virginia but you're still almost three hours from Richmond. You're five hours from the coast. Mm-hmm. You're a good four, four and a half hours from Northern Virginia. UVA, right. I think, is in the perfect location for the recruits that you want to grab out of the state of Virginia. And if I'm not mistaken, Bronco took a very, quote-unquote, cast-a-wide-net approach to recruiting. Like, there was not a lot of focus on the state of Virginia when he was in, in power there. One day approach. <laughs> It went great. <laughs> it went, yeah. It went better than Fuente did. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give it that. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, even I would say even maybe North Carolina, a somewhat better school uh, state for high school football. Uh, but I would say Virginia is better than Kentucky, better than, you know, a number of other states up and down the East Coast, you know. So um, it, it's, 
it's I don't think it's a negative to be sure. Um, it you know, is it again? It's not Georgia, it's not Texas, it's not Florida, but it's it's still pretty good. There's still there's still players there to be had. Um, interesting. All right, so then you know we got to talk then more about kind of how how the school fits in to the state, or you know, is it is it purely coaches or not? I one of the things that interests me and and Chris, I, I grew up in Atlanta and. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech has a really interesting place in the state of Georgia. Um, you know, it is, it is pretty clearly like it is not the number one college in the state. You know, you've got the University of Georgia as the big flagship state school. Um, and then Georgia Tech is a pretty significant second, you know, bigger than anybody else uh, in terms of Power Five. It's the only other Power Five school. But there's still kind of this, I'd call it like a little brother dynamic where, you know, you're always fighting an uphill battle against the other in-state team. Um, and so it's something I'm, I'm very familiar with is, is, and it's, it's multiple things, you know, it's not just like size and student body and money, but it's also like the alumni around and the way that the state government, you know, creates policies and stuff relative to your different schools. And it's, it's all these like institutional things. I, you know, Again, I have no familiarity with the state of Virginia or how some of these things work. Like, do you do you get that impression with with UVA as opposed to like Virginia Tech, or is it a little more even? Like, how does this dynamic between those two schools impact UVA? Well, the record in football doesn't lie, <laughs> and uh, I mean, what is it, nineteen or twenty to one in the last in the new millennium, um, and yeah, friends of mine that have grown up in Virginia and have been kind of UVA lifer fans definitely say to me, like, you don't get it. Uh, this is baked in. And <laughs> as I watched the past two years, even Mike, I believe, picked UVA on the podcast over Tech in the past two years. And you're twice. betting favorites and everything. And I just, I watched them throw to the linemen and and the, the game, the COVID game in Blacksburg just not really show up. And I I think that maybe it's it's in the identity a little bit too much. Um in terms of what the causes are, I can't really say that I know it's anything like legislative or or anything like that. But um it's it's the one strong side of the rivalry that that tech has and we have our other ways to clap back but like all the other yeah. sports <laughs> literally N- number of national championships i have to say it <laughs> yeah. Virginia tech does have a, a, a really pretty but empty case there in the athletic department i've seen we do have a uh, wrestling national champion <laughs> so mckay lewis not a boy yeah, I mean, Mike, 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 do you agree with that as a Virginia native? Like, is it just sort of cooked in? Like, when you know, when you're growing up and you're going through school, like, is there an obvious bias one way or another? Is it? Because I, I definitely felt it in Atlanta. I mean, in part of it, I, I've talked a little bit about. You know, Georgia Tech doesn't have like a teachers' college, so guess who? You know, guess where all of your teachers in school come from? Like, right, yeah, right. stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I would say. I would say growing up in Northern Virginia from just like a pure, like 
where do you want to go to school standpoint, it was pretty split. Like a lot of people want to go to UVA. A lot of people want to go to tech. Um, I applied to UVA. I didn't get in. I applied to tech, got in, ended up at tech. Right. Um, so I applied to both. A lot of people applied to both. UVA is a tougher school to get into. Mm. So from a pure, like broad, like you're trying to get into school standpoint, UVA is tougher to get into. Uh, but as far as just interest in the university, I think it's pretty even. I think a lot of tech fans would probably disagree with me, but I think growing up in Northern Virginia, like if you're not totally biased and don't have your head 12 feet up your own ass, I think you can realize that there are a lot of people who do want to go to UVA, you know? Um, so, I mean, it's pretty even. Now, I will say from a football support standpoint, it's not very close. Like it's, you know, anybody like growing up in my cul-de-sac, like we had three or four neighbors that went to Virginia Tech and each and every one of them were huge football fans versus like I had a few neighbors who were UVA fans who didn't really care about the football program that much just because the football program wasn't that good. It wasn't that they weren't in the sports. It, the football program just wasn't good. So they'd follow it, but not as religiously. Hmm. So I think from a football support standpoint, it's kind of reflective of where the two schools have been kind of historically in the last 25, 30 years. You know, Virginia Tech had the run with Beamer and they were really, really good. Mm -hmm. And UVA has kind of been up and down since Welsh. So I think that's pretty reflective in terms of like fan support, which makes sense. You know, it's kind of what we see play out, you know, on the field and mm -hmm. fan support just at the two universities. It makes sense. And I mean, not, not being in Atlanta, but having a lot of connections to Georgia Tech. I mean, I've seen an increasing level of apathy over, on the program over the last three years, you know, where you go from, and it's, it, I'll tell you right now, it's, it's infected me too. Like, you know, winning matters. And it's like a few years ago, I could have told you one through 85 on the roster and probably could have named a few of the walk-ons. And now it's like, I don't even remember who's on the team half the time. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's like, it's hard to get that invested in something when, you know, you feel like there's not gonna be a lot of emotional payoff. So it makes sense. Um, I'm curious to some of this and, and how you see it, Chris, and this is, you know, especially should be up your alley, you know, as, as a member of the student body there, um, you know, how does, how does the student body view football and, and support football? Like, do you feel like there's like a real fanaticism within the student body about football versus, you know, is there any impact when it's like, well, basketball season's coming up and, uh, you know, Tony Bennett has it rolling and, you know, we've got a pretty good baseball team and, you know, that, those kinds of things like is, is how does football compare that way? Yeah. So it's, it's not great among the average person. They kind of consider what we've already said. It's not a historically good program. Uh, people who, who watched as kids in the state of Virginia watched Mike London. So that doesn't exactly help. Um, Bronco Mendenhall, so people who are my age have been here for Bronco Mendenhall being bowl eligible for four years. So you got Bronco going from two to two and 10 to the Orange Bowl. And that sort of sparked among people who cared enough to follow tangentially more hype. Um, but overall, it's there's not as much enthusiasm here as I was really hoping to see when I came in as a student. 
and uh, COVID didn't help. The attendance in this past year was solid, but not always great. And losing in front of the home crowd in in sort of the most um, well-attended games, Wake Forest on a Friday night, Notre Dame, and of course, Virginia Tech, where they stormed our field, just infuriating. Um, they 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 kind of build themselves up to let themselves down, uh, and I I wish it wasn't that way, but that a lot needs to change in terms of home game experience, and I don't know if that's really coming. Interesting, but yeah, a dive into Scott, that. I was gonna say dive into that more in in terms of the home game experience at Scott Stadium because this is. A lot of Virginia Tech fans have been to Scott Stadium. I have never been. I've been there for football camps and stuff, but I have never been to a game at Scott Stadium. Hmm. So, like, what is it about the game day experience at Scott Stadium that you think needs to be improved? Because I'm genuinely curious. Because I've heard Tech fans talk about it, but, like, I know a lot of Tech fans who are biased and won't tell the full truth about it anyway. So I'm curious, like, as a UVA student, right, and as a, as a mm-hmm. fan of the school, what needs to change about the game day experience you think to like draw more students in outside of just winning football games? So personally, I think Scott stadium is neat and I like the game of football and I'm going to go whenever I can. The thing is that makes it a little bit difficult is that the football stadium is not located really close to where most of the off-campus student life is. Uh, and there's no support for tailgating because there's no sort of place that's nice for it near Scott Stadium. I mean, right next to Scott Stadium, you have engineering school and a gym and and where freshmen live. And to the other side, it's like sort of no man's land. Um, compared to, I mean, Clemson is the only other ACC football game that I've been to, but they've got like it seems like they have people full time on staff that are that are renting out these fields to people, and I had my my friend's parents that had their SUV full of stuff go ready to go at like ten thirty in the morning Yo, for a Clemson game. It was tailgating at Clemson is SEC like. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I've never seen anything like. Yeah, they have their tailgating act together. <laughs> right, and then UVA. I mean, I I went to my first quote unquote tailgate this year, and it was in the parking lot of a research facility and it was really empty. Mm. Um, it's uh, so like we said, Scott stadium is, it's like, it's a little bit disjointed in its location and it's on the other side of campus from where you have baseball across and basketball and the football uh, training facilities and, and the track and more and more and more. Um, so, it sort of it doesn't lend to a tailgating game day experience and it's a long walk from where a lot of people live like personally i would be going from at friends houses and walking 25 or 30 minutes to scott stadium which is something that you can't really get around but not ideal inside the the game experience at scott stadium i think the hill is really neat mm-hmm. um everything else is kind of standard uh, college football fair. So I know that like the, the game experience has been like a, a pretty hot topic really just kind of around college football over the last few years, especially as attendance has suffered in basically everywhere. Um, 
one of the things that it always comes back to is like cell phone service, Wi-Fi, like the ability to connect to the rest of the world. Like, do you feel like you get a decent shot at that at Scott Stadium during a game? It's awful. Okay. No, there, there's, there's no chance to find people. It's, it was an issue every time I went. I always hate that as an excuse of like, well, I can't use my cell phone. I'm like, I don't, I'm not there to use my cell phone. I'm there to watch a game, you know. But more and more, it seems like there's a correlation. I don't know. People, people go to the bathroom and you don't see them until after the game. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. Lane Stadium is a black hole for cell phone service. You walk in the stadium, that's it. Huh. All right. Well, that's that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Chris, I'm, I'm interested a little bit more in this this like lack of tailgating culture, we'll say, around these games. Yeah. You know, and, and you talked a little bit about how the campus wasn't really designed for it. Um, or the, you know, where the stadium is located and some of the, the nearby facilities just aren't really designed for it. And, and we also kind of connected it to some of the older days where these programs weren't as successful. So you have folks who are, you know, towards retirement age or older who, when they were going through school, like they knew nothing of football success. And you wonder if that impacted their perception of, you know, football at UVA. Do you feel like, let me put it this way. Like, do you feel like there are folks that will, there are a good number of folks that will attend the game with no like tailgating beforehand? Like what, what do they, do they go to a restaurant? Do they just come from home? Like all, all I've ever known is like, well, yeah, you go like three hours early and you, you tailgate some way somehow. Like I, you know, what, what do people do? Cause it doesn't seem like, you know, especially when they've been good, there hasn't been like an, a, a real clear attendance issue. Like they can still get, Scott Stadium rocking a little bit. Like, what do people do before the games? Um, honestly, for people that aren't students, it's a good question. It's They probably go to restaurants or they go to sort of people who are hanging out in the area. There is tailgating in the Scott Stadium parking lot, but it's not, uh, it's not to the level of even other ACC schools, let alone Clemson. Um, I mean, bars, but like I was saying, the bars are, are like a 20-minute walk from the stadium. But you're right. Attendance isn't an issue. I guess I'm really I'm really not sure what people do before a game. I guess they're just, they're just kind of showing up, driving in from other parts of Virginia. I mean, you think about it, though, where they're located, like where, where Charlottesville is located in relation to major areas, like – I live in Fredericksburg now. Right. I'm an I'm an hour from Charlottesville, hour fifteen minutes from Charlottesville. Like if you live in Fredericksburg, you get there no problem. You get there in an hour. Yeah. Live in Fredericksburg, get there in like forty five minutes to an hour. Or I'm sorry, Richmond, you get there in forty five minutes to an hour. Charlottesville, Newport News, two two and a half hours. I mean, you're close to everything. Like right. UVA is not a commuter school, but it can be if it wants to be, <laughs> right? Like especially if you live in Richmond or like where I live in Fredericksburg, like you want to drive to class right you could you pull it off hmm. so yeah it's I, I feel like it, it lends to a commuter game day experience and i think every school does to a degree like a lot of people will drive into blacksburg and they'll go to the game then they'll drive home but blacksburg isn't really near anything so yeah. you got to be willing to drive three hours to richmond across the state four and a half hours to you know the ocean four hours back to Northern Virginia. And I guess if you're, doesn't, if you're doing that, you're probably driving in the night before and now you've got all morning or something. Right. I mean, that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. Interesting. 
Fair enough. Curious to know, Chris, you know, we've kind of referenced the, the men's basketball program in particular. I mean, winning a national title, what was that, 2018, 2019? 2019. 19. Yeah. Um, I mean, have been really good under Tony Bennett for over half a decade now. Um, do you feel like they, and we've talked about this in terms of like, you know, North Carolina or Duke or even Kentucky or some of these places where, you know, it is more of a basketball focus to the point that it kind of saps attention from the football program. Um, do you feel like it's, it's that with Virginia or it's like there, there's similar interest in football, whether basketball is good or not. And it's just kind of nice getting extra revenue basically from basketball. So I think that having a basketball program that gets so much attention doesn't hurt football. It's not like we're Duke where our football program is sort of entirely not working. Uh, And I don't think that the attention would be mutually exclusive if we were a little bit better or like have been over a longer period. Because I mean, the times, the time of year doesn't overlap that much. Um, And people will say like, oh, who cares about football? I would rather go to basketball games. But the school does what they can to tie them together. You have Tony Elliott promoting basketball, Tony Elliott showing up at uh, at home versus Duke with sort of the the biggest atmosphere we had in in the past few or in this year, um, saying, come on out. The school incentivizes attendance of football to obtain basketball tickets. Hmm. Uh, they, they do what they they do what they can to to marry the two in order to make football what it is. But I don't think that our football program is mediocre to the point that you have to give the attention one way or the other. Um, I, I think that the energy is able to be tapped into if Tony Elliott does a fantastic job. Interesting. I think I agree with that too. Like just as an outside fan, you saw that a little bit with Bryce Perkins. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like you saw that starting to take shape. I mean, especially obviously when we took him to the orange bowl, <laughs> but right. you started to see that. I mean, even like, even in that kind of year one, you started to see the, the nature of the program turning a little bit more fan support, which I mean, makes sense. It's something that schools tend to suffer from when they suck for a long time, not just UVA. I'm talking like, my school, Georgia Tech, <laughs> like you see the apathy set in, mm-hmm. right? And when there's something new, which you were getting with Perkins and Mendenhall, and you see them having success, like you get the you get the fan support. You're seeing it in North Carolina with Mac Brown. I mean, the fan support in that stadium for home games is there and hasn't always been there. Like it wasn't there under Fedora. Like I went to a few UNC games and it, it just wasn't was not there like <laughs> the last few years not there and we have the character to catalyze fans again in brendan armstrong and when he was doing when he was averaging almost 400 yards a game the school entirely and the football sort of media machine was really pushing for him and people were responding to it it's just unfortunate that it didn't lead to more wins which is probably the reason that we change coaches Probably. Well, he resigned, right? Right. But I mean, read between the lines. 
loud, know. loud and we clear, know. loud and clear. We Chris. know. <laughs> Wasn't a mystery to us, as you know. <laughs> Was not a mystery to us. Yep. Let's take a quick break here to remind you about Section 103.com. It is the internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great Georgia Tech apparel. Uh, they've got t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts. They've got things in the official tech gold. They've got things with the ATL logo on them. All sorts of great apparel that you can only find in one place. And again, that is at section103.com. Uh, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And again, they've got things for men, women, children, something for the whole family. If you're looking to rep Georgia Tech, there is no better place to go. I love mine. It is incredibly comfortable. It looks great. It's high-quality stuff. I've, I've had it for a while. I've been wearing it constantly. I've had no issues with it. Can't wait to buy more. They're always coming out with new designs, too. Uh, they had something for basketball season. They had some stuff for baseball season. Uh, they've got this new shirt out that kind of looks like it uh, resembles a fight, win, drink, get naked set of icons. I, you know, could be. It's just speculation. I don't know. Uh, but you might, might want to go check it out. Once again, that's at section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Tell them I sent you. I love my stuff. You will, too. Now, let's get back to it. One of the things that you mentioned, Chris, that I think is also interesting to kind of look into is is the academic side of Virginia. Um, and, and UVA is, for those that don't know, I mean, a top five public school in the country. It is a very highly rated school. Um, I'm curious, you know, as, as to your understanding of the school in terms of how it how that impacts like football recruiting, like our would you say that for football recruiting, the admission standards are somewhat prohibitive? Like there, there are guys that they just can't recruit. You know, can they recruit junior college players? Um, are, are there like a limited set of majors, you know, that kind of limit what you're able to study at Virginia? You know, I guess just in general, how does the academic arm help to shape what the program can and can't be? So I don't know exactly what the admission standard would be for a scholarship athlete, but I mean, I've had classes with them. I understand what they major in and sort of what um, academic um, supports that they have. And I, I mean, from what I've heard from people, Bronco Mendenhall was really pushing for uh, moving up the team GPA. So he wants it to be taken seriously. And every UVA coach, regardless of sport, is going to sort of make mention of the fact that you can't recruit everybody and that it's a difficult school, and it is. Um, I just, I don't think that um, it's as much of an excuse as people understand it to be. And UVA is not different from Notre Dame, who puts itself in the run for college football playoff regularly in terms of admission standards. So, People point to it, but I would like to it like for it to be pointed to less. And also to make another comparison to Georgia Tech, um, UVA has a much more majors or course requirements that are not prohibited, not prohibitive to athlete eligibility than Georgia Tech, where it's like as I understand, the business majors are the dummies and the engineering is kind of the bar. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> We have we. I'm I'm not going to to sort of throw shade at any any areas, but throw it. I know I know which classes that I've taken. I took classes with a uh, member of the national championship team and other 
scholarship athletes in other sports and um it's it's nothing crazy so maybe the pro maybe sort of the prohibitive factor is getting in but i feel like completing coursework is uh it's not the excuse that should be brought up it makes me think of you know there is something to be said for that that i mean like for instance again the university of georgia is also a reasonably highly ranked public institution and there's you know there is a lot of really good uh academia that goes on there they also have what a lot of people would term underwater basket weaving majors you know like these nonsense college programs that are designed to keep athletes you know eligible for NCAA standards you know like would you would you say that there's are there like a few of those at Virginia that are kind of known as like the athlete majors or is that are you is it, are you saying that basically everyone is is studying something kind of in line with the rest of the student body? Um, I would say it's somewhere in between. Uh, there are no BS majors at UVA, but athletes are encouraged to major in. I mean, it's sort of publicly available things that like um, liberal arts or the education programs. Um, so there's there's nothing like. Um, I don't know this this stereotype like being a PE teacher. There's nothing that's sort of that far mm. um, here from what I've seen, but it's not like the minimum is, or it's not like anyone's expected to go to the engineering school. You have people in the commerce school on the football team, which is sort of a, a selective admission school within UVA, mm. and you have a couple of those, and that's impressive. But mm. mainly, it's sort of ordinary majors like sort of sociology history and education that makes sense we saw a lot of that attack like in terms of the in terms of the athletes i mean tech's not a top it's not a top 25 school i mean tech's a good school but it's not like 12 percent admission or whatever <laughs> you know what i mean um so you did see like it's like sociology psych like uh, right a lot of the athletes were getting to, um, they have like an HNFE major, human nutrition, food and exercise, which a lot of like pre-med kids will get into that, that or bio. Um, but a lot of athletes would get into that too, if they're in, into like sports nutrition and that sort of thing, which doesn't sound easy, but a lot of athletes were into that. Um, I mean, I feel like there is something like that at, some schools, but I do feel like UVA would have less of that than less of that than others. Yeah, I mean, there's no not going to class for <laughs> right. athletes, right. and you see Jay Wolfolk, who is Brandon Armstrong's backup and also a, a pitcher. He, hmm. I saw him pitch twice in one weekend. I don't know how this guy has time to to pass classes at UVA between being in spring practice pitching and and school so i i definitely have respect for the amount of work that they have to put in because there's no real easy way out but i don't want it to be an excuse either <laughs> that's fair that's fair i mean what i'm hearing is there's no like online only nonsense classes like no. at, at such shady institutions as like north carolina so <laughs> <laughs> got them <laughs> also a good academic school huh uh, that's what they say that's what they say yeah Tar Heels, Tar Heels catching strays over here. Um, it makes a lot of sense considering their recruiting classes. I'm like, man, I thought that was an upstanding <laughs> academic institution. 
Interesting. <laughs> mm. Uh, Chris, hmm. a little more here. I want to get into the the administration. Um, kind of trying to trying to round off like the full picture of of UVA athletics. You know, so I again, you're not a big history guy. I don't know what happened at UVA before 2000, and the only reason I know what's happened since then is I looked on Wikipedia this afternoon. Um, but the guy who took over, I believe, in 2001 was Craig Littlepage. Um, and he held that role as AD until about 2017. And he was a guy that seemed like he had some pretty interesting highs and lows. Are, are you familiar with any sort of perception of like how good or bad he was for Virginia over you know a decade and a half or so that he was in that role? Yeah. So for the school as a whole, I think the perception has to be good because he delivered national championship winning coaches in baseball and lacrosse. Uh, as well as Tony Bennett. But um, on the football front, it was hiring Mike London and hiring Bronco Mendenhall. And so I don't really know the details of the Lowe's having not been there for sort of specific press conferences and moments. Uh, But I think you have to see it as a positive at large football. I mean, he sort of would be the original athletic director that let this whole facilities thing slip. And we see that playing through and in every sort of analysis of the program and that the board of visitors at UVA had to sort of write this future check in order to get Tony Elliott to sign the dotted line and come be our coach. Um, as, as Mike has referenced on the show before. Um, so I guess that would be, if I'm recalling, it would be Al Gro was the one who said that the facilities were starting to fall behind in in the middle or later 2000s, Uh-oh. and it was unaddressed unaddressed through Gro, unaddressed through London, and unaddressed through Mendenhall. Mendenhall even saying so as he was on the way out, mm-hmm. and Tony Elliott acknowledging it but saying it's not going to be his excuse of choice. Uh, so I guess that would that would be he made one good hire on the football side and one one that didn't work out, uh, but sort of letting this this issue drag on would be um, and sort of from a football perspective shadow on his tenure and uh, Williams Carla Williams taking over the returns are good but it's really all dependent on Tony Elliott. And as you've said, Joey, it's uh, it's a it's a bit of a dice roll with uh, how he's how he's put things together. I'm interested too because I know facilities are obviously a hot topic around the football program, and I know that Tony Elliott wanted new facilities, right? And I know that's part of the reason why it took him a minute to sign and all that. It felt like a lot of See, I try to take this with a grain of salt too, not to go on a tangent, but like I have obviously a lot of tech fans that follow me and, have, you know, a lot of tech fans were throwing shade at Carla Williams, but how many UVA fans were throwing shade at Carla Williams? Like legitimately when the Tony Elliott stuff looked like it could potentially be falling through with no backup plan. Like, was there really a panic or was that like a perceived thing just because I'm a Virginia Tech alum and I see a lot of Virginia Tech fans just trying to dump on UVA all the time? It was not a perceived thing. Uh, after after one of the sort of reputable UVA sources 
reported that the point dexter deal was imminent uh and then that fell through over sort of a very hyper stimulated twitter environment that that took place from what it was a thursday to a tuesday when the dex thing revealed itself not to be happening and and then people tracking the charlottesville uh airport uh stuff flight tracker season flight tracker season let's go hell yeah right zoom doesn't Um, exist during coach season if 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 elliot didn't uh come be our coach there would be shade towards carla williams for sure i just i don't think that that would have been warranted it's kind of just the fog of war that's interesting yeah i mean makes sense <laughs> just saw like uva fans it, it felt like a just like kind of like a panic like wait why is he going back to clemson where is he definitely, going definitely why why hasn't he signed yet you know well, I mean, looking at it like where you are, Chris, like just today, what we know, what we've seen, all this stuff, you know, between yourself and the folks that you talk to or the things that you read, do you feel like they're like, what's the confidence level in Carla Williams and her administration, you know, running the athletic department and trying to push things forward and, uh, you know, leading to the success of UVA athletics as a whole? I think the perception is is really good. There are lots of bright spots in our entire athletic uh, organization. We have Mm -hmm. baseball and lacrosse currently in season, both in the top five of of their polls. Mm -hmm. Um, Basketball, it hasn't been uh, since the national championship what people have hoped. Mm -hmm. I I saw zero NCAA tournament wins since that unfortunately but the the fandom is still strong in all ways and the master plan this sort of very ambitious uh funding goal that is tied to carla williams's administration seems to be taking place i see the construction physically taking place so as long as that keeps up and uh I guess one thing that I thought of a while ago, but I didn't get the chance to say, is that people who have graduated, who have the memory of seeing greatness, like what happens for tech, uh, are more likely to be private donors to the athletic department. You don't really have that as much with UVA, even in the sports that we're good at now. Um, so if, if Carla Williams can get donation to secure infrastructure and Tony Elliott doesn't turn out to be a failure like Joey thinks. Uh, it things things look good. He's I'll just a it. hater, Chris. He's just a <laughs> hater. Even though I kind of agree with him, he's just a hater. Uh, but hell, I mean, hell, man, I don't, I don't know about pry either. So I mean, we'll <laughs> let's wait and see, right? Um, Hiring coaches is such a crapshoot. It's right. Jeff Collins seemed like a fine hire, and then it just <laughs> seemed fine to me. Fine is the right word. Yeah, uh, it has not been fine. Um, yeah. Not even close. Um, all right, Chris, last, last question that I have, and, and again, to kind of wrap the whole thing up before we talk Tony Elliott here, and then we can get out. Mm-hmm. So, like again, what I said before was I feel like this is a, a tough job, and and what tells me that is is certain things, again, about the history 
and uh, just success that's been had and, and how many coaches have succeeded versus those that have, have failed and those kinds of things. But I feel like a lot of what I've heard from you tonight is maybe this isn't like an inherently hard job, you know, and, and, and I don't think this is the hardest job in the country or, or anything like that. But, um, I, you know, how, how would you classify it? Do you think this is an easy job? Do you think it's kind of an average job? Do you think it's a hard job? How, you know, when you look at this and, and look at the whole picture, what do you think it is? And, you know, like what is a reasonable expectation for the football program at the university of Virginia? I think that it's somewhere between an average and hard job. And it's, a job that's going to be great for the right person or the right coach who wants to sort of treat it like what it is, which is an upstart, but the school has a fantastic brand and there's nothing really holding it back in terms of a division that doesn't have a clear leader as we know well. Um, and all the other things that we've mentioned, good recruiting ground. And the only thing that you're really up against is the institutional and cultural uh, sort of apathy that I think you could swing easier than people imagine. So what was the other part of your question? How do I rate the job and what's a reasonable expectation? Mm-hmm. Um, Glad you remembered. I didn't. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Professional so podcaster. A <laughs> reasonable expectation is what you guys have said uh, over discussing Virginia, which is to be 500 or better as much as you can get bowl eligible as much as you can and have that every one out of three to five years where you're sort of, you've got your, your best players that are in their senior year and you're going to want to get to Charlotte or get to a place like the orange bowl. And um, if, if you do that, I think people will be very happy and you'll start to change the culture in the fan base, get the attendance up and sort of get the positive feedback cycle going. I mean, it can be done. I just, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be done. Right. I mean, it, it just, UVA has been, it's been weird though with UVA because I feel like London recruited at the level you need to recruit at, not just in Virginia, but just kind of in general, right? Where right. he recruited at the level you need to recruit to, to have that kind of ideal program from an expectation standpoint that we're talking about where UVA is always winning six. Sometimes they're winning eight every three or four yeah. years. They're winning nine, 10, 11. Right. right? And getting right. to Charlotte. I feel like he was recruiting at that level. And then I feel like Mendenhall was kind of the opposite. He was recruiting at the five to seven win level consistently, but he was really good at developing talent from the standpoint of, okay, now we have like a revolutionary player at quarterback and Bryce Perkins. Let's just run him into the ground, which is smart. He did that with Taysom Hill at BYU. That worked really out really well for him when he was there. Won a lot of games with both of them. Right. Um, and very similar quarterbacks and how they play. Not the best passers, really athletic runners. Um, but yeah, I do feel like UVA kind of needs the best of both worlds guy. And I yeah. think Elliot definitely has a chance to be that guy. Um, there's no reason to think really otherwise. 
you know, every hire I think has questions. I think Elliot certainly has questions. Jeff Collins had questions. Brent Pry has questions. Uh, Cristobal, I think, has some questions to answer. Um, not a lot, but he's got some questions to answer still. So even like the better hires in the conference, I think, have some have some flaws. So you're not going to nail every coaching hire, but I feel like UVA is kind of been on this wild swing where it's like recruiting, now player development. Yeah. Now what? <laughs> right. Like try to find that middle ground. I think that's what they're hoping they get with Elliot. Mm-hmm. So let's go there, Chris. So I, I said, maybe transition. <laughs> yeah. Attaboy professional. Like we said, um, yes. So the last time that we recorded, I, I told Mike, I felt like Tony Elliott is going to fail here because again, my perception is that this is a tough job, um, that a lot of coaches have failed at, um, Tony Elliott, not having any prior experience as a head coach, really kind of lacking a lot of any sort of head coaching experience and, and really that much experience in general around him um, to kind of help maybe mentor him through some things that he hadn't had to experience before. Um, these are the things that all just kind of add up that tell me that this is maybe not a recipe for success. You have a, you have a rebuttal for that. I think you do. I, I sense it. I can feel it. <laughs> so the big part of your argument, and to be honest, a lot of people in the UVA podcasting and Twitter scene are were more enthusiastic about how we assembled our staff. And then I hear you and I'm listening to it and I'm like, you're really not wrong. It's just <laughs> not what people are saying. Mm. And it comes down to the fundamental idea that Tony Elliott knows what a sort of highly resource rich program is and he knows that it's not his new job and his hires are about the idea of doing more than le- more with less because he understands that if you do the same strategy as the people you're competing with with a lesser input it's never going to work yep. and so what you get there is the hires that are a high school head coach and UVA legend, Chris Slade, coming in to be a position coach. It's it's unusual, though. He was a high school head coach to a defensive position coach in the Power Five. Um, coaches from Air Force, Navy, and Army. And um, so, so everyone has G5, or everyone on the staff has G5 or HBCU or FCS experience or like several have that type of experience and it's to um, focus on the idea of doing more than less with less. Um, the issue is that there's no one on the staff that has sort of the real credential of experience. You referenced that our coordinators have a combined one season of power five co-coordinatorship. And I hadn't thought of it like that, but it is, it's scary and, <laughs> you might be right that it's likely that two, both of them aren't going to make it. Um, <laughs> but I think that the, it's, it's an, it's a, it's a analogous to a startup company. You, you either believe it or you don't. And it's, it's fine to be skeptical, but people like what they see from Tony Elliott. And there's a, what's, what's here right now, especially on offense, we know, um, it's not crazy that that they have the capability to do 
as well or better record-wise with their schedule as they did last year. So it's it's kind of a matter of of faith and belief. The facts that you point out are really not wrong. I just am choosing to look at it a different way. Can't believe. Yeah, we. You know, we we all express our fandom from a position of faith and belief. So I, I can appreciate right. that. I can appreciate that. I think that UVA, from a resource standpoint, because that's a really interesting point of doing more with less that I I didn't talk about with Joey in the last podcast. And I don't think we really brought up or at least honed in on as much as we should have, Joey. Not really. That's a really, so that's a really, really good point. Um, and I, I find it interesting because I think there are parallels to kind of what Justin Fuente was complaining about at Virginia Tech when he was flirting with the Baylor job. He was like, listen, this is what a... This is what a style. Go ahead, Joey. What, what do you got? Listen, this place is too far from Texas. Let's pick it up and move it over there. <laughs> "Quote unquote," Justin Fuente, twenty nineteen oh or whatever that was. Anyway, sorry. The best thing to ever happen to Virginia Tech was Justin Fuente taking the Baylor interview. <laughs> I'm kind of joking, but I'm also kind of not, and I stand by it because he was saying this program, Virginia Tech at the time, this program needs infrastructure from a personnel and a facility standpoint. So what did Virginia Tech do? They went out and they improved the sports nutrition center. They improved the locker room, a bunch of upgrades to a player's lounge. And more importantly, they had this huge fundraising initiative tailored to the football program that's still going on. That's now allowing Virginia Tech to have a staff in terms of manpower, similar to Georgia. Right. So now Virginia Tech literally has more staffers on on staff, like the more coaches, more assistants, quality control people than Georgia does. So that's because Justin Fuente went and bitched about Baylor. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like UVA is in a position where they're raising all this money. Right. UVA wants to put more infrastructure into the football program and they want to have more staff, right? They want to have better facilities. Like they want to put themselves in a position. I feel like they're almost in the spot that Virginia Tech was in a couple of years ago, except now you guys have hope because you have a new coach. You know, Virginia Tech didn't have yeah. hope. We, we were stuck with Fuente for like three more seasons. That's my soliloquy. Yeah. Well, and, and Chris, the other thing that sticks out to me, you know, and, and we talked earlier about recruiting within the state of Virginia and and there's talent there to be had and, you know, in a couple of surrounding states and that kind of thing. And it's probably something that I hadn't really considered that much was that it, one of the things I talked about was that the relative youth in the coaching staff. I mean, basically nobody, I think there's like one guy on the staff and I can't remember who's, what his name was, but it was like one guy who's older than 50 years old. You know, you've got a bunch of younger guys. And like we, like you said here, like a bunch of guys who have never really coached at this level. Like I think that, that youth and, inexperience can also relate to or, or can also kind of turn into hunger you know and, and the willingness to pound pavement and get out and burn the candle at both ends and re- recruit your tail off and you know for as much I, I think I compared this on our last episode I think I compared the Virginia staff under Elliot to Jeff Collins original staff at Georgia Tech and for as many you know flaws as the program has had since he's been there 
they have worked their tails off in recruiting and I think they have upgraded <clears throat> the roster. And so from that standpoint, you know, I, I do think Tony Elliott probably is set up for success in that way. You know, assuming that we're all on the same page here, that there aren't really major barriers to recruiting to Virginia in the state of Virginia. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. And the drive has to be there for a lot of these young coaches that, I mean, this is their chance to go from this, the service academy type of job to something even better in the Power Five if they do great. It's like Virginia is kind of just a very – I see it as – and I'll mention something that changes this assumption in a second, but I see it as kind of a, a blue sky opportunity. There's nothing really holding you back from – winning the coastal every so often and from turning things around and getting the football program to be having a lot of sort of student and alumni energy. The one thing that scares me is that the staffs that are being installed this year are very good. I am a little bit scared that uh, the, the Virginia tech staff is really good, but also Miami. That is the one, like if the assumption of, the coastal being open goes away with Cristobal. I think that every job in the coastal has to look worse. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the recruiting competition between Fry and Elliot is going to be really interesting. I also find it interesting that the past two coaching staffs at UVA and Virginia tech were installed in the same year. Uh, so it's just kind of fun way to keep tabs. That's an interesting parallel. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Miami is the one school that I think everybody is going to have to chase. I, Carolina, sure, but like show me the next head coach because I think they're yeah. recruiting at that level where you could say, oh, yeah, that's going to be the school to be in the next five years. But, I mean, Mac Brown's had a ton of talent on that team the last two seasons. And they've been pretty mediocre. I mean, they had a decent year in the COVID year, but they weren't probably as good as people thought they would be. And then – I thought people were on – so one take I got right, the one take I got right from college football season, I thought people were on drugs saying that Carolina was a 10 or 11 win team. I thought people were literally needed to be institutionalized, <laughs> except for Joey. I mean, did you see Everybody like else, four though. of those games that they won and they looked awesome? And then did you see them give up eight sacks to Georgia Tech? Like that, that <laughs> team was Jekyll and Hyde all year. They were a mess. It was. <laughs> it was. I was – yeah, I was very happy watching that game in Blacksburg. So I was like, this tech team's going to go like six <laughs> and six. And Carolina just never really had a prayer in that game. They just kind of struggled the entire time. It was great. Um, Beat him over the head with a four by four. Like, <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought tech was going to have that was just everybody lies to you in week one. Like, I thought tech was going to have an elite, like, like one of the best front sevens in the conference. And then they just basically didn't have a sack the rest of the season. It felt like. <laughs> Um, but, um, I feel like Carolina does have the talent, but like Mac Brown, at some point you've got to get something out of this town. Like this is, you're, you're literally old school Miami, like old school. I'm talking like Randy Shannon, like back. I'm not talking like Butch Davis. <laughs> I'm not talking Butch Davis, Larry Coker, where you're kicking the crap out of everybody. I'm talking like you're getting all the talent and then not producing. Right. I thought Mark you were talking Rick about like really 2019 Miami. <laughs> Mark Rick Miami. 
Manny yeah. Diaz, Miami. Like you're getting all this talent. You got to do something with it, bro. Like, yeah. Florida International. <laughs> that was that was one of the early episodes I watched of this podcast. <laughs> Cam is in shambles. <laughs> Cam was in pain on that podcast. Sorry. Um, yeah, Florida International. That was up there. Florida International is up there with Virginia Tech losing to ODU and Georgia Tech losing to the Citadel. There's, Can we there not? Been, there have been some bangers <laughs> on this podcast in terms of bad losses. Absolute uh, bang. Yeah. Bronco lost to Richmond in his first game. That's true. This it happens. True. It happens. This is true. It does. And I also ha- happened to be hanging out with Virginia Tech people the day they lost to Liberty on the icing their own kicker. Oh. That was worse than ODU. That was so bad. Liberty was a better team, but that was that was worse. Just how it ended was worse. The ODU game, at least you saw it coming. The Liberty game, it's like Tech should win this game. And then they just blew it. That was horrible. Well, I tell you, as much as I would love to go around and relive all of our team's worst losses <laughs> for the next half an hour, uh, we have gone on for way longer than intended, just like I told you we would, Chris. Um, yeah. Chris, this has been a lot of fun. I have learned a lot. Mike, I don't know about you. Um, yes. This has been informative. It has kind of changed the way that I, I think about the Virginia program. And, and you know, I, I think it becomes a thing where, in my mind, th- there's not a lot of barriers beyond maybe that fan malaise kind of thing to – getting a lot of support and a lot of, uh, you know, building to the future with the program. There's not a lot in the way of that. Um, so yeah, so you're, you're correct that, you know, if, if Tony Elliott can kind of galvanize the fan base a little bit, you know, get some momentum recruiting in the state of Virginia, like sky's the limit. I mean, it's, it's, it's there for the taking. So going to be interesting to watch and see, you know, is, is his formula one that's going to be successful? Um, you know, all I'll say is I've been wrong before. So <laughs> I, I'll probably be wrong at some point in the future, in the very, very near future. Um, all it took was a recent Vegas trip to remind me of that. But in any case, uh, Mike, do you have anything else for Chris right. while we got him on here? I don't think so. I've, I'm going to be thinking about UVA football in a, in a different light from the standpoint of the more with less on the coaching stat. That was really – that was a – that point shook me. That's, <laughs> I'll take that's it. great. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to take away from this. That, that was a big moment where I was like, wow, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> and, All right. Yeah. That boy, Chris. <laughs> Chris Grondon, thank you so much, man. Thank you for your time here. Thank you for your insights. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for telling us about your team. Absolutely. Happy to be the first and excited to hear the next fans. Absolutely, man. Well, again, thank you so much. We'll have to have you on sometime again in the future and uh, check in on how, how wrong I am about Tony Elliott and his staff. I hope you are. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, there it is. There was our conversation with Chris Grondon telling us about the university of Virginia. Again, really insightful in my mind. And the thing that, that will stick, I think out for both of us is there towards the end, talking about this Tony Elliott tenure coming up. And, and, you know, I, I spoke to my 
sort of uh, like reservations towards the coaching staff that he hired. I mentioned him on our previous episode, all those things. But I felt like Chris made a couple of pretty good points about how what looks like it could be iffy may also really benefit him in this role and in this space, in this division. Hiring assistance from service academies, HBCUs, FCF schools. You know, you and I looked at that as, well, why isn't he hiring guys with more experience? Whereas Chris mentioned the fact that maybe he's hiring these guys who are used to doing a little bit more with less simply because Tony Elliott knows coming in here, he's not going to be able to run the program like Clemson because he just doesn't have the resources, right? Um, Mm -hmm. From a, from a, you know, people standpoint, from a program infrastructure standpoint with facilities like you can only run it that way if you have the support that you need. And he knows that UVA doesn't have that yet. And that was a big reason why there was a delay in him signing on with his contract. You want to make sure that, yeah, we are going to get upgraded facilities. So, I mean, I think that's a great point. Like hire guys who have done more that done more with less and are used to working within, you know, budgetary constraints and that sort of thing, you know, within uh you know, recruiting and, you know, understanding that, you know, hey, you know, our facilities aren't great, but, you know, this is the best school for you and here's why. I mean, he's hiring coaches who have done that their entire careers. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a great point, something I didn't consider, and I think that could work to UVA's advantage, especially as they're trying to ramp up their infrastructure within the football program. Yeah. Mike, as I, as I mentioned, I, I recently took a trip to Vegas, and I think it's kind of poisoning my mind because as I think about it, it's – it's a little bit analogous to hitting on 17 with the dealer showing a nine or something, right? Like there, there, there there's, it, it's a gamble, right? It is like, you know, it's right. at, at times, you know, maybe in, in a lot of cases it wouldn't work out, but there's enough there that it, it could work. Um, you know, there, there is, there are ways that it could work out and this could end up making me look silly. Um, which would be a first I I'd never look silly, Mike, but you know, Tony Elliott would be the first to make me look that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, they hit with, with 17 more than you were able to in Vegas and they're able to come out on top and in the green versus in the red. I mean, as a Virginia tech fan, you're hoping that, that like a face card comes out when they hit on 17. I just, just get us to six and six. Literally. <laughs> I don't really care about anything else. Six and six, and like a top 40 recruiting class. I'll be an improvement. Whatever works, whatever works. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I felt like there was, there was a lot of really, interesting insights there and things that I, it's, it, it remains interesting to me and something that will kind of stick with me is that if you just look at it historically, the job and, and the records that people have had, it's a hard job. But again, the way that Chris laid it out, like there, there are no major like institutional things kind of working against Virginia, at least no one big thing. Um, so well, there, there's opportunity like there. It. And, and people like to point to the academics, but like Chris said, he's like, there's no reason for that to be the excuse. Mm-hmm. And I think he's right. You know, he's, he's pointing to all these schools, you know, he lists them off and Notre Dame's the big one. But he starts listing mm-hmm. off all these schools where he's like, we don't talk about them in, in that light. And if we do, it's just like a convenience thing when they happen to not like with Notre Dame. Oh, well, you know, they didn't beat like one of the three best teams in the country because their yeah. academics are too hard. I mean, it's a bullshit excuse, right? And and Chris kind of said, you know what, he doesn't want that to be an excuse for UVA anymore, especially when you consider the expectations for UVA. And we all agree that, you know, UVA should be consistently making bowl games. 
you know, they should be winning eight or nine games a year, probably like every two or three years. And then every, you know, once every three to five years, it should be contending for a coastal crown with, you know, a team full of juniors and seniors that have been there and done that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fair expectation for UVA. And I don't think academics should be a hindrance to that. So when you consider where UVA is located in the state of Virginia, you're 45 minutes to an hour from Richmond. You are an hour and a half from Northern Virginia. You are two and a half hour, two to two and a half hours from the 757 Virginia Beach area. Like you are literally in the perfect location for the talent pools that you need to grab from mm-hmm. if you are a UVA uh, football staffer. So location is not a hindrance. Academics shouldn't be either when we're considering what the expectations are, what fair expectations are. Like mm-hmm. academics aren't that hard that Virginia can't consistently be a bowl team or competitive in the ACC Coastal. Yep. Well, Mike, we're going to find out if Tony Ellett can harness some of that talent and take advantage of what's there for him. Real quick, before we wrap up, what do you think of Chris's comment about um, UVA's roster kind of being in a as good of a spot or, or better, and they could potentially record-wise be better than they were last year? I think I agree. I don't know if it comes to fruition because of – the coaching staff turnover, but I think from a roster standpoint, he is not not wrong about that. I thought Virginia had like fourteen guys transfer out of the program or something like that. Am I remembering that wrong? Isn't that many? It was, it was a lot. Like I think they had the most transfers out in the ACC. Um, I'm looking now to see if I can find. I thought they had a lot. And now I got to go find Bill Conley's returning production. Um, let me pull this up real quick. Virginia. I know Chris was. I know Chris was referring mostly to the offensive side. You know, having Brad Armstrong return, and, and he's got a, a, at least a couple of. He he lost a couple of his top receivers, but he's got a couple of really good ones coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, who's the guy who's hurt? I always I always forget this guy's name, but he's he's one of the best pure like athlete. Wide receiver. Billy Kemp. No, he's gone. Finally, um, Billy, Billy Kemp, who's who's been there fifteen years. Yeah, Billy Kemp is closer to retiring than he is to being a freshman. Um, <laughs> who's the receiver that two years? Lavelle Davis, I think is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, oh, yeah. Lavelle Davis. Yeah, blue is ACL. Um, he is a monster, and I think he'll be back next year. Um, Dontavian Wicks. I think Keaton Thompson's coming back, isn't he? I believe so. You know, so they've he's got super senior. Yeah, they've got dudes coming back to catch the ball. Um that receiving core I don't think is gonna be a problem. Uh Virginia comes up one twenty third out of one thirty one in returning production with fifty one percent, eighty fourth on offense, one twenty fifth on defense. So defense might be an issue, but mm-hmm. I mean turnover on the defensive side might not be the worst thing considering how bad the defense was. Yeah, the defense wasn't great. There's not a, a level yeah. of standard that they're trying to maintain there. They're trying to fix it. So Right. Right. And Tony Elliott's an offensive coach, so Yeah. Fine. I, mean, I think he hired defensive coaches though, so it might be okay. What's Jay Bateman doing these days? <laughs> not coaching in Chapel Hill. I know that much. Hey, I'm just I'm just pulling defensive coaches from service academies, seeing how it works. <laughs> well, it didn't go great in Chapel Hill. Um, 
UNC has now been dunked on like four times tonight. By just me. catching strays every which way. Or directly. Yeah. Love it. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else here? Uh, we'll try not to go four weeks before recording again. I, I'm i going to make a, an official Joey Weaver guarantee that we will not go four weeks before we record. We'll, yeah, it will be sooner than that, I promise. I think it will be sooner than that. I agree. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, we will be back. Uh, we're probably going to do a little like news update, you know, talking about the Narduzzi contract. We got a couple of listener questions, things like that, and then we're going to continue this uh, this series with other schools. You know, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, we'd love some feedback. You know, if you guys have thoughts on how all this went, and um, you know, what you like to hear more of, less of, you know, let us know. We are on Twitter. Uh, hit us up either in the notifications or in the DMs. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, you can send us an email, questions, comments, concerns, feedback, whatever, to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Mike, we got an email like five minutes before we started recording asking if we're alive. I swear we are. We're coming back. I promise. Uh, that's all. There. Um, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. All the good places you can go find podcasts. Mike, where else on these social medias? Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketballconference. Great review. Find all of our podcasts there. Yep, do that, do that. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Keep telling your friends. Our podcast continues to grow. Keep telling your friends. It's helpful. Please do. We really appreciate it. That, that's You'll hear, you know, you heard Chris talk about it. That's kind of, you know, he, he's going to tell his friends. So, you know, appreciate it when people do that. Yep, we do. Mike, have a good one. We'll talk soon. Yes, sir. All right. Well, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, and for Mr. Chris Grondon, uh, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Until next time, go ACC. And Mike, as we say, Virginia's awesome. Hell yeah, they are. Go Hoos. Go ACC. Go ACC.